Welcome to The Legal Tea, the podcast where we interview lawyers bring beyond corporate law. Each week you'll hear about their practice area, the work that they do, and the roads they've taken to get there. I'm your host, Max Herberg. How's everyone doing this week? It's been an eventful week in the world. From yet another Twitter stunt from our favorite Twittering billionaire, Elon Musk, polling on whether he should or should not sell his shares in Tesla to pay tax, to Facebook's cover-up of all its alleged behavior manipulation tactics by, and this is the best part, presenting a metaverse. You know, forget meeting up all with your friends in real life. Let's all put on a set of clunky VR goggles and play a game of cards as fellow avatars. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm a big tech buff and an advocate for the positive changes it's created in the world, in terms of efficiency, but also in terms of democratization and accessibility. However, when I see moves of digitizing social interactions like these, I get reminded of the Disney movie WALL-E and think we're one step away from being the obese people on levitating chairs doing nothing but staring at our screens all day. Which is why I'm so glad that this week's episode is focusing on exploring the real world and all the fascinating changes going on within it. We'll be sitting down with Spella Berlisk, a legal consultant at the OECD. In the episode, we discuss what the OECD is, the vast undertaking of timely insights and reports it manages to produce, and the importance of objectivity in the profession. Outside of the OECD, we also take some time to discuss Spella's atypical route into law, doing a European and international law degree as a bachelor's, studying at Queen Mary's international campus branch in Paris, and the importance of being curious in one's career. So without further ado, sit back, relax, brew yourself a cuppa, and enjoy the show. Good afternoon, Spella, and welcome to Legal Tea. How are you doing today? Hello, I'm very good. Enjoying some sunny weather we're having here in France. <laughs> well, over here in London, we've got our few last rays of sunshine just before the cold English winter. So I definitely, I, I can definitely relate. Um, so Spella, you know, we've been talking back and forth for a couple of weeks now, but for the audience just tuning in, um, why don't you give a little bit about yourself? So I'm Spella Verlis. And I'm currently doing my master's degree at the Queen Mary University of London. I'm doing my degree in the Paris campus, which not many people know about, but just for everyone. So yes, Queen Mary does have a campus in Paris. It's great. And in addition, I'm also a legal consultant at the Trade and Agriculture Directorate of the OECD. In the, I started this in April. And in between, I was also a legal intern at the Global Relations Secretariat. And then I came back to my original position, which is what I'm doing at the moment. So what is the OECD? So to put it very briefly, OECD is an international organization which offers countries a forum for discussing and developing their economic and social policies. And so I checked on the, on the OECD website and... There's just such a vast amount of, of research that's published on there. And you can, you know, break it down by country, by kind of year, timeline, by industry. You know, how, how do they manage all this? So in my personal experience, I found that this is mostly thanks to the greater work of our organization and just the management overall. 
the people at the OECD are very skilled and they are always ready to help one another, not only in our own directorates, but also across the organization. So it just makes the process of producing and publishing research very effective and very interesting. So also I have to say that in addition, the OECD is a relatively big institution, but we also have a partnership outside the organization. So not only staff, but also experts and consultants like me. And then, of course, also the country delegates. What does the Trade and Agricultural Directorate do? And also, what does the, the global policies? Because my, my understanding, I must confess, of, of the OECD has only been in the space of, of taxation, international taxation, double taxation treaties, you know, the model treaty articles and the like. So Trade and Agriculture is one of 12 substantive departments of the organization. And we provide research and advice for better policies in three areas, which are trade, fisheries, and agriculture. I'm in trade. Some of the key topics that we deal with that I can think of right now, just from the top of my head, would be digital trade, export credits, trade and environment, trade and gender, resilient supply chains, and my particular area, which is services trade, and then in addition, there are also, of course, many other policy areas that the directorate works on. And so the, the services, do you focus on a particular type of service, like professional services or legal services or just services in general? Just services in general, which are then split into different categories, but it can be from professional to other types. So we don't have a particular focus. And do you do it for the whole world? Because I, I can imagine that must be mind-numbing going through all the countries and all the services and trade. Uh, we do it for the OECD member states and the partner countries to the project. So as kind of a, a, a consultant, a researcher consultant, what is your what does your day-to-day look like? So it's very hard to give a coherent day-to-day for me because in addition to working, I'm also a student. So it's always very different, but just the two things that I have that I try to focus on every day, it's when I wake up, I always try to make a list of priorities because it's obviously a lot to do with work, with studies, and then trying to keep a personal life. So it's how I begin each morning. And then I also always, always focus on really trying to have a personal life, to go for a run, to read something, to see my friends, to not get too overburdened with everything that's happening in my professional life so to say sign sign me up to that management plan because <laughs> that sounds like very very organized uh i know I'm, I'm i'm currently doing doing a master's myself uh, but i mean you know just just trying to get time in for a runner for the gym i already feel as a complex exercise let alone managing being a consultant for the oecd so respect for for, for keeping keeping a schedule <laughs> trying to keep a schedule <laughs> and an important important legal distinction there um so for the industry as a whole um in in the services industry what have you witnessed how covid has impacted because from what you've said about kind of all the different aspects of trade it seems that you know the the OECD doesn't it doesn't look at it from a purely economic point of view but also takes in other sociological factors i think gender was one of them, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I have to say that uh, when I started my work, it was all from home. 
because we started in the middle of the pandemic and we had to respect the rules of our host country, which is France. So it was very different. And the COVID just in this day-to-day aspect of life really changed the job for me. But uh, in terms of work, what we did at our division, so in services trade, so we uh, monitored COVID measures, for example, to see if they suddenly became trade restrictions and to see if they are directly linked to the crisis. And then just the OECD as a whole, so like the different directorates combined, I think it has really managed to produce timely evidence to assist the government in their response to COVID. And a lot of it can actually be found on the website. If you go to the policy hub, you can have different reports from different directorates, for example, from my directorate, there's the impact of COVID-19 on international travel restrictions, on services trade costs, and then there's also research from other directorates on mental health crisis for young people following the pandemic, and then what countries have done to support young people. So like you said, like you said, you have the economic aspects, but then you also have the very social aspect of it. So it's very interesting in my opinion. I mean that's quite a quick turnaround for all these international reports. It's barely been it's barely been two years since the start of the pandemic. So I'm amazed that you know the OECD was able to you know collect all this information, then analyze it, and then you know convert it all into kind of reports open to the public. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> in in terms of you know the the actual trade restrictions, how, how would you go about you know finding finding these out? So usually we look at different policies of different countries. Each of the consultants is assigned a specific set of countries because obviously you have civil law, you have common law. So you have to really have knowledge in the area. And in my specific line of work, we are all lawyers. So we are familiar with different legal systems. And uh, then we just we look at the policies. We see what has changed. We try to see if it's, if it's a restriction. And it's a work that really doesn't allow for a lot of personal interpretation because the restrictions are set out. So you really just look at the policy and you decide yes or no, but the rules are very narrow and you have to run it by country experts. So it's a very, we try to be very objective and I think we really, we are good at that. So it's something that I'm I'm happy with. (laughs) So what country, so you as a consultant, which countries were you assigned to? So I have South Africa, Ireland, Poland, Slovenia, Slovakia, Czech Republic. And in addition, I'm also getting Lithuania and Latvia this year. And so, you know, have you personally found it difficult to kind of, you know, A, keep up with all the all the restrictions that would come in? Because I can imagine in this last year and a half, the trade restrictions varied greatly depending on how well the country was managing the pandemic. At the beginning, uh, yes, for sure, it was it was very hard just looking at the sources and finding what's relevant because, of course, all the countries have so many laws and so many topics that you really have to know where to look. So the beginning was very complicated, but after that, once you start to get the hang of it and you know what's relevant and what isn't, it just, over time, it really becomes better and better and more simple. So it's almost kind of, you know, learning how to ride a bike, you know, it's all about getting started and, and practicing every day until it becomes like muscle memory. Exactly. And you still, you still fall uh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> 
So would it be fair to say that you're almost kind of an international legal researcher then? I mean, you're looking at so many different countries. Um, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the, with, with the legal system of Poland and, and not that of South Africa, but I can imagine those are completely two different systems. Yes, I would say so. It's also, I studied international and European law. So it was my wish since the beginning to be in really the international legal community as opposed to just focusing on one legal system. So I would say yes, and I hope I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) Then when you collect the the information and kind of you you are able to kind of detect the the restrictions uh, that each country has, how 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 then do do you or does your team manage to be able to make comparisons and produce insights uh, from from this, these restrictions and data points? So we produce sector notes, which are just notes of different countries on the same sector. We produce country notes, which are country by country, of course, and then we produce policy briefs. So to list out the changes overall, so we still somehow try to link different things and make it into groups. I'm imagining like a, a like a spider web or, or like a process map with all these kind of uh, different links. Oh no, you know those uh, those conspiracy boards where you have like the red the red line. <laughs> to, yeah, I, I can I can only I can only imagine that the complexity of that task when you're dealing with kind of national legal systems and all the different restrictions and all the different kind of industries. Yeah, but what helps? I mean, on every line you have. You have so many expert, uh, experts, you have the country expert, you have a sector a- expert. So, for example, one of the sectors I found very difficult, and I think I can say the same for my colleagues, was telecoms, because <laughs> it's just so technical and so specific. And then we have a sector expert. So a lot of times you're just writing e- emails and you ask questions, and he probably has his inbox just full all the time. But it's very helpful to have someone to ask these questions too. And so in working with, with such a big and, and complex team where, you know, you're required to coordinate uh, with each other in order to produce this, this final document, you know, how, how does it feel? How, how does it feel being part of such, a, of such a team carrying such a task? Great. I mean, amazing. I'm, I'm so happy every day. I feel so lucky to be able to work with so many people and in addition to so many people from different cultures. I really enjoy to to not be in a specific country, but to really coordinate with with different nationalities and different people, different experts. And at your in your time at the OECD, have have you been able to kind of see you know your work have have an impact on the, you know the final you know, the final report that comes out? Do you feel like a, a piece of authorship comes through? It's such a hard question to answer because there are so many layers to all the work, but I mean, I truly hope so. <laughs> and I think time will tell because also as you continue, you start to do more things. I'm really at the beginning of my career. So at some point I would also like to take on bigger tasks and do more specific research. So just on that, in terms of kind of, you know, career progression, do you feel that kind of, you know, at your time at the OECD, you've been given opportunities to, to professionally develop your skills? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, definitely. I also changed to do an internship. So that was also a very different experience. And considering I started in the middle of COVID, so I started at home, it was something I, I was worried about and 
in addition, I was worried how it's going to be like just seeing people online all the time. But I think the organization did such a good work in just putting everyone together and really talking. And for example, uh, also the head of our division, which is someone that, uh, at least in my eyes, is so important. And you see him and uh, it's just someone with such a, such a character and so much knowledge. And he personally took the time to speak to every one of the newcomers. So I, I, I just found it so amazing. I was so surprised by that uh, and uh, still am. And, you know, even though you, you are part of the um, Trade and Agricultural Directorate, do you feel like you have the opportunity to do directorates coordinate with each other on, on these tasks with the reports? Yes, yes, absolutely. It's uh, one of the OECD's policies to promote horizontal work. So for sure. What's been your highlight moment on the job so far? I, I know you haven't been at the OECD long uh, and obviously you have kind of your masters to balance out with, but do you have, you know, a, a particular moment or, you know, general time period at which you, you really felt that, you know, this is why I worked at the OECD? So during my internship at the Global Relations Secretariat, I participated in the reduction of a trade chapter for competitiveness outlook in Southeast Europe 2021. And it was such a long process, very interesting. And I get to I got to see how OECD makes a report, how much how much effort is put into reviewing the information and liaising with different stakeholders. So in the end of the process, when I saw the final version posted online, uh, it was it was such a highlight for me. Uh, I, I can imagine, especially being able to kind of see the life cycle of the of the project, you know, in the beginning, exactly. and obviously understanding the amount of hours and, and work and sweat that went into kind of you know the final product, and actually being able to see the product, you know, for everyone to see. Exactly. And so, you know, now I want to get into kind of why you wanted to work for the OECD. So you you talked earlier about you know having studied um, you know an international an international European kind of law degree. Why did you choose that? So I knew I wanted to work in the legal sector. That was the starting point for me. But then as I researched more about it, I realized I don't see myself in a traditional role of a lawyer because my interest wasn't only to learn about the laws of Slovenia, but also to discover other jurisdictions so common law like the UK, the US, and then civil law like France, Germany, Netherlands. So I knew I wanted to do something that's very different. And it's, it's what led me to do a master's in The Hague in the Netherlands. And uh, I still think it was one of my best decisions. Uh, I'm really happy with, with the program and with the degree I got in the end. Would you mind kind of telling us a little bit more about, about the program? Because, you know, especially in, in Dutch universities are very much promoting these international and European law degrees, as well as some other countries in continental Europe. Um, and I always think it's a, it's, it's a nice comparison because typically on the podcast here before, we've been talking about people who've done, you know, just straight up English law at a UK university. So what is the emphasis in international and, and European law degree? So I think it's trying to balance out the different legal systems. So to because there are just so many that you kind of have to have a specific way of learning them because 
I think we do have pretty traditional, pretty traditional subjects such as constitutional law, administrative law, and then uh, the laws of the European Union and so on. But it has to be very focused, I think, to make sure that you learn about different things instead of just focusing on one jurisdiction extensively. And what I what I really enjoyed in the Netherlands, what I can say, uh, in my opinion, it would be different from studying in Slovenia, is that the professors are not only academics, but they are also pra- practitioners of law. So that's so amazing because they really have real life experience. And sometimes they speak about the cases they did, which is so interesting, and just some real life struggles that they had instead of just focusing on the theory without knowing how it plays out in practice. So very much kind of, you know, transcending beyond, you know, the black letter or whatever's written in a textbook and really also, you know, putting it into practice. Exactly, exactly. Would you say, you know, for, for people who are kind of, you know, struggling to decide between doing a, a, you know, a qualifying law degree, say German law or English law versus kind of an international and, you know, European non-qualifying law degree. In, in retrospect, if you had to make the decision again, you know, what, what, what were the considerations that you'd recommend people take? So mostly, I think it's a golden rule I can say to everyone, it's to really read before what kind of paths you can take after this degree. Because for us in the first year, we had many people that thought that they came to straight up become lawyers just out of the bachelor's and the master's. And they kind of didn't perceive that it's a very different route than to studying domestic law in their home country. So I think it's really to know that after, if you want to become a lawyer in a jurisdiction, you're going to have to learn about their laws first instead of because, I mean, before you didn't, so you're going to have to get the knowledge somehow. So it's very important to know what you can become out of this degree and if it's something you would want. And also just to have interest in other jurisdictions, uh, because sometimes it's also hard to, you have to compare them and they're so different. And sometimes they're also similar, so it's confusing. So I think it's really important to be curious about it, to, to be able to study it. And do you think kind of your, your degree in international and European law kind of, you know, prepared you uh, and helped you in kind of getting to where you are today in terms of the, the role of the OECD? Yes, yes. Um, I'm really sure about it. I think uh, if I just knew laws of Slovenia, if I tried to do the job I'm doing at the moment, it would be very hard because I would miss this whole set of knowledge that I would need to deal with other countries. So I think it's possible, but it just it would have been harder. Now you're doing a master's at Queen Mary on the Paris campus. You know, would would you mind telling us what the what the master's is on? It's in international business law. And what made you kind of uh, leap forward for uh, a master's, and specifically why Queen Mary in the Paris campus? It kind of all happened in harmony with the OECD. I did the interview, then slowly I learned I got the position. It was when I was deciding what to do my master's. So I think UK would have definitely been on my list, but as the OECD made it more interesting for me to try to be in France, I don't speak French, so that's why France wasn't my first choice at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then it just kind of led me to France, and then I had to see, okay, so what can I do in France that is not in French? And that kind of led me to Queen Mary and to applying to this specific program. 
I see this a lot where you have, you know, renowned universities that have campuses outside of, you know, their headquarters, so to speak. So, you know, the Paris campus, I'm guessing the court, the course is taught exactly the same. Is, is there any real difference between, say, the Paris, doing it in Paris versus doing it in, in London? Uh, I think it's very different, actually, because, first of all, we are a very small group. I want to say, uh, and it's just an estimate uh, in my year, when I started, we were 12 people. So when you speak with the professor, he, he or she actually knows your name. They know what you're doing. So I think maybe it's a bit more tailored to you just because we are less. And then also, I noticed a lot of my classmates were professionals. So not only people like me coming from our bachelor degrees, but people already practicing law. Um, and then lastly, uh, the way the courses are set up, we have courses usually one week or two days and then in two weeks, two days, but it's not kind of a diverse schedule. It just, it's put together because the professors have to travel from London to Paris. So they're not going to do it once a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would be, would drive up quite quite a few bills on the, on the Eurostar, I'm afraid. <laughs> Especially with COVID, I think. Uh, <laughs> with COVID and Brexit for that matter. It's yes, just... <laughs> <laughs> a lot of a lot of restrictions there on the on the travel of services. Um, balancing this out with uh, you know your your work at the OECD, you know you've talked a lot about you know from a from a practical perspective about you know time management and making sure you have enough time for both. Do you feel that you know they feed into each other in terms of what you learn doing your masters helps you in your work at the OECD and the work that you do at the OECD helps you in your masters? Yes, in some areas more than the others. Sometimes it's also courses that I take that aren't really related. And then I learn about things that always be I never thought I would learn about. So sometimes, of course, it's very useful. And the one skill I think I truly perfected was time management. <laughs> but uh, for sure, in some areas. And then, you know, what what is the application process like to to work at the OECD? Because uh, at least from from a UK perspective, uh, it's you, you get very little information about you know working at international organisations if you're a law student. So you usually have an online application process. You have a written test and you have a panel interview. But then it it depends on what you want to do, and you always have to just check their website because. They have the different roles. So, of course, it's going to be different if you want to be an intern or if you want to be a consultant, if you want to be a policy analyst. It just depends. And, and is there kind of, you know, so, for example, you you went in, you know, initially on an internship. Is there kind of a regular kind of, you know, availability or kind of promotion of, of interns? I'm just saying from the position of somebody, you know, like yourself when you graduated from your bachelor's and wants to go into the OECD. Is, is that possible or is it typically that you typically have to come in with years of experience beforehand? No, for interns, uh, I, know, I know many people that came just out of their university. So, in fact, to do an internship, you have to be in uh, LLM. Oh, okay. So, you can't, usually you don't have experience. So, and then it, it, once again, it depends on the directorate. So, I can generalize here. <laughs> No, 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 of course, of course. Important to qualify qualify your answers and your advice. It's the legal 101. <laughs> so what do you think are the skills necessary to work at the OECD? 
So I think you have to be very curious, open to other culture, cultures and other ways of working. You have to be very organized. You have to have good um, time management. You have to be diplomatically sensitive, so to know what to say and what not to say. And last thing that I wanted to, to say that I was searching for, it's flexible. You have to be flexible because uh, sometimes you get a project that you're absolutely interested in. Sometimes you get something that you're less interested. And also what's important to understand is that sometimes the OECD projects can be on a very long time basis. So you have to be patient as well because uh, it's not as it's usually in private organizations, private companies, that you have a project, you have this time frame, and by that time you will be finished. Sometimes it can be very long-term project, so you have to be engaged in it and patient. <laughs> and in terms of, you know, obviously you, you're, you're doing a lot of research as a consultant. Is it very, would you say it's very specialized or is it, you know, fam familiar with the kind of typical legal research you do at university and on your master's? I think it's quite specialized just because it's a very specific research and you really have to focus on being objective. So in that sense, I would say it's quite different from the master's where you usually try to argue for something and you take one side or the other most of the time and try to argue your case. For the OECD, you have to to let all of that go and just be objective. Just be objective, you <laughs> yeah. know, remove your personal opinion from the report. Isabella, <laughs> one of the things, I mean, at least from the UK, and I can imagine, you know, elsewhere as well, is that, you know, we're coming right out of a pandemic and, you know, law and getting a job in the legal world is, is quite competitive. It was quite competitive before COVID. COVID made it even more competitive as obviously organizations aren't able to offer the in some of the internships that are regularly available. So what would you say to law students and, and, you know, graduates from law who, you know, look at the legal sector and, you know, all the competitiveness and the few opportunities and feel that there isn't a space there for them? I think uh, I would say be patient, be very patient. We were all there once every lawyer was at this stage where when we had to apply to things and we got rejected and we had to reapply and we get rejected 10 times and you start to wonder uh, am I doing something wrong but then you get your dream job and you're super happy so I think it's such an unprecedented time that you don't really know what to expect and you don't know what to expect in any case so you just have to give it your best and just be patient and not be and not be put down because you didn't get the job on the first try just got to gotta take a chance and uh, keep on pushing. Exactly. Be persistent. <laughs> so, Spella, usually I like to end these things on a, on a lighthearted note. So, you know, you've talked a lot about all the amazing work that you do at, on, the OEC, on the OECD, all the kind of, you know, all the research and, you know, all the different kind of experts and professionals that you're working with. I'm just curious as to, you know, who your favorite, you know, legal expert or professional that you've seen on a TV or movie show is and why? So I'm going to be so embarrassed to say this and I wish I would say something super <laughs> intellectual and super uh, legal-like, but uh, I think it's a very mainstream character. It's Harry Specter from Suits. 
I mean, of course, he is, you know, the, the way the, the way he makes legal arguments and closes cases is, you know, exactly. second to none. So even yeah, even if it's a bit unrealistic and sometimes gives you the wrong expectations of what <laughs> legal sector will be like, it's still fun to watch and it's just yeah, they, they should they should add a disclaimer to the beginning of every show and say this is not how you actually do law and it's solely for right. entertainment purposes. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Spella, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. If our audience members have any questions and want to reach out to you, can they? And if so, how? Of course, at any time they can reach me by my LinkedIn or even by my email. Uh, always happy to to chat and meet new people. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Spella, and I wish you a lovely rest of the day. Thank you to you as well. Thank you so much. Well. That's the show, folks. If you enjoyed learning about the OECD and want to know more, feel free to reach out to Speller. We've linked a LinkedIn profile in the show notes below. Special thanks to our unsung heroes for the week, Claire Herberg for editing and producing the episode, and Matt Gedrich for the absolute bang of a theme song. As you might have heard, Legal Tea is hiring. Enjoying our exquisite brew? Have a knack for social media marketing and outreach? And are an avid tea drinker? Become the marketer at Legal Tea and help us spread our amazing brew across the country to law students and law graduates all around. If you're interested, send us an email at hello at legaltea.uk or DM us on our social media platforms at legaltea.uk. Till next time.